0: How do you keep your relationship strong and thriving when you have a new baby or children in the mix? It's a classic situation where the attention that children require can introduce distance and tension to a relationship that was perfectly fine beforehand. So how do you manage the kids and your relationship? That's what we're going to talk about today. But first, just a reminder that Relationship Alive is my offering to you, so that you can have the best possible relationships in your life. If you are finding the show to be helpful, please consider a donation to ensure that we can continue. Every little bit counts, and you can choose whatever feels right to you. To make a donation, just visit neilsatin.com/support. And this week, I would like to thank Anne, Valerie, John. Kirthi, Susan, Jules, Rachel, David, Cynthia, Barrett, Molly, Julie, and Laura. Thank you all so much for your generous and, in many cases, ongoing support of Relationship Alive. If you haven't downloaded it yet, please grab my free communication guide that gives you my top three communication secrets that can help you have any challenging conversation, and end up in a more connected, intimate place on the other end. To download the free guide, just visit neilsatin.com slash relate. And the guide is a little preview of my full Secrets of Relationship Communication course, which you can find out more about and grab if you visit neilsatin.com slash course, C-O-U-R-S-E. I think that's it. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. I think we've either seen it happen or maybe even experienced it ourselves, that the addition of a new life, a new being to a family can create big changes. And some of those changes are amazing and wonderful and life-enhancing, and some of those changes can feel almost cataclysmic. And so we are here today to talk about how to navigate a new addition to a family, whether it be a baby or adopting an older child, or even if you've had children in your life for a while and experienced the impact of children on your relationship, we're going to talk about how to Uh, steer your couple ship in a way so that you can strengthen your relationship and strengthen with each other and with your children and uh, hopefully have a little bit more joy and a little less cataclysm. Uh, To have today's conversation, we have two very special guests. One is Kara Hoppe, who is a marriage and family therapist, and the other is Stan Tatkin, who you may be familiar with from being on the show before, the author of Wired in Love and Wired for Dating, among others, other books. And uh, together, they have written the book Baby Bomb, a relationship survival guide for new parents, because as we were chatting about before this interview started, there aren't many resources to help people not just navigate what's going on with a new baby, but actually navigate how that impacts their relationship and how to have a strong relationship, despite all the ways that, that the new addition or additions to your family might make the waters a little rocky. I don't know why I'm going with the, sh- with the boat metaphor today, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, if you are interested in downloading the transcript for today's episode, you can visit neilsatin.com baby. And uh, Kara Hoppy and Stan Tatkin, it's a pleasure to have you here today on Relationship Alive.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Thank, Thank you, man.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Great. Well, we're off to a good start. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so, I, I sometimes like to do this, which is to start at the end. And in your book, Baby Bomb, which is great, by the way. Um, at the, you, you offer 10 guiding principles for how to help couples stay strong in their relationship uh, despite, however, having a, a child in their life may be impacting the relationship. Mm-hmm. And at the, the very last guiding principle that you have, I'm going to just read it verbatim here. I think I dog-eared the page. Guiding principle 10, you and your partner parent and partner with sensitivity, respect, and trust. Hmm. And I wanted to start there because, I, for one thing, I'm not even sure people necessarily nail that down before a child comes along. Right. And so much of, of getting things strengthened and resilient has to do with those very things. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about why uh, those things are so important, sensitivity, respect, and trust, and, um, and why their absence might lead to some of the common things that people experience when a new addition actually throws things into chaos.
1: Yeah, Neil, that's, I love it that you started at the end. Um, the last guiding principle, um, and I immediately, when you were saying it was thinking about the beginning of parenthood, um, when two people become parents, neither one of them really know what they're doing. They've never done it before. No, like aunt or uncle or godparent experience, um, speaks to that. And So they're both learning in tandem how to do this. So it's a really vulnerable experience. So having that respect and sensitivity and trust in themselves and in their partner as they learn how to do this is so critical, right? Um, I'm thinking about like when we brought Jude home from the hospital, neither one of us knew how to burp him. And so (laughs) it's such a simple thing, but I I didn't know how to burp a baby. You know, nobody had taught me before. And I remember like watching Charlie do it and feeling in my body like, oh, God, like fear, you know, and like wanting to jump in. But then like pausing because I wanted to give him the respect like he was giving me the respect to learn how to do it. And all of that, like, increased our participation in showing up for our son, Jude. But it also, like, um, made our relationship feel like a a safer place for both of us to kind of fumble around learning how to be parents together and be witnessed as parents together. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, So much of what you talk about in the book has to do with battling in some ways the cultural expectations that that we have. And I think some of that includes this assumption that you're somehow going to know what to right. do. And right. so I appreciate your highlighting that it's a very vulnerable act to suddenly have a, a child in your arms. Um, or if you're a step-parent, to, to find yourself with, a, with an older child potentially in front of you and to not necessarily know what to do um there are all these ways that um that we're kind of fighting in uh internal messages that we've gotten from culture from family etc
1: right like i mean you know that idea of the maternal instinct kicking in like yes and maternal instinct doesn't cover burping it doesn't cover like putting on diapers it doesn't necessarily cover even breastfeeding like all of that has to be taught like in real time learning how to do it Mm -hmm. and so there can be like a lot of internal pressure because of that external pressure that if i don't know what i'm doing i'm somehow failing and that can be acerbated of course we know like people like partners doing that to each other and like come here i'll take the baby i know how to do this and like you know um, just kind of cutting each other down and what Stan and I really wanted to do with baby bomb was to like help people um, recognize the importance of supporting each other during this vulnerable experience and like how they could do that, like with really practical ways. And we just wrote the book to kind of walk people, you know, through that journey of how to show up for their relationship that way.
0: So lest we make any assumptions here about what sensitivity respect and trust mean can we do just kind of a quick breakdown of what you mean by sensitivity what you mean by respect what you mean by trust because we'll circle back to those principles along with the principle of circling back uh, as we continue this conversation
2: well, you, you, you mentioned something important that as many people go into this without a prior knowledge and while there is no there is no study guide really for having a, a child or raising a child there uh, there is uh, a structure and i think that there's a natural hubris uh, uh, to human beings going into things without predicting planning without thinking ahead and having a structure an architecture going into something whether it's step parenting whether it's marriage whether it's having a child and so uh, and so people go into this without really thinking ahead. Why does the couple, like you said, have to start off with a structure where you have uh, in a free society, two individuals who are coming together based on conditions and, and terms. They're supposedly sharing power and authority, and therefore they have the same stakes, right? Uh, same things to lose, same things to gain. And that. In any free society where there is mutuality and shared interests, a shared purpose and a shared vision, there has to be fairness and justice. There has to be sensitivity; otherwise, people will do bad things. So it only makes sense that the couple is starting this family, right? The couple is the uh, is is the 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 constant that's running through this whole thing. Kids are uh, passing through, right? Um, they're being uh, uh, taught how to live in society and then how to go off on their own and be good citizens and so on. And the parents are supposed to be exemplars for this, right? So everything starts and ends with the couple. And if the couple is not intact, if the couple is not functioning Properly According to collaborative and cooperative fairness and so on, then everything else is going to come undone. Right. So we really want uh, uh, couples to be prepared to be a good couple. Their party is so wonderful that they're inviting this third, this other child into their party. Right. And uh, and they are ready to lead. They are ready to be parents. They are ready to show, not tell how to do this thing called relationship. That's why it's essential that trust be there. It's the foundation of these voluntary relationships that are based on collaboration, cooperation without trust. People uh, begin to do terrible things to each other. And that's what we want to avoid, right? We want a system that is uh, operating really well uh, with two executives that are first and foremost uh, a couple and that they are in a leadership position to handle whatever comes. And in this case, something quite marvelous, but very complex and very disruptive. <laughs> and that is a third human being that's going to change. Uh, all the roles in the, in the, in the couple, uh, and, uh, and the duties, and that has to be predicted and prepared for. Okay.
0: So when we say, uh, I'm going to just give you the quick, like quiz, um, Stan. So when we say trust
2: at its simplest, what do we mean? What are we trusting? <laughs> I know that I'm an idiot and I do stupid things. I do things automatically and reflexively, and I'm going to to hurt you, um, not because I want to, but because I'm just going to do something that will be offensive, hurtful, insensitive, maybe unfair to you because you're another human being. You're going to do the same thing to me. So first of all, we trust each other uh, that we have goodwill. We trust each other that we're doing this, um, you know, in, in a good spirit, not that we're perfect, but that we're perfectly imperfect and that we're prepared to repair, fix misdeeds. We put the relationship ahead of the self. The relationship is what protects the self. Therefore, uh, therefore if you feel I hurt you, uh, then I fix it. That's what builds trust. What erodes trust is the human tendency for uh, us, all of us, to protect our own interests under stress. Mm -hmm. That's everybody. And what we're trying to teach people is how to be really good at taking care of each other under the most stressful circumstances. Otherwise, we always revert to our own self-interest. And that is adversarial. And that leads to war. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to teach people Uh, that all human beings have this proclivity and we have to watch out.
1: Right, so what you're saying is like, that trust is like knowing yourself and having faith in yourself and your partner to overcome the challenges by being committed to the dialogue, to like a process of repairing with each other. So it brings in like the sensitivity, which would be attunement to each other, of watching each other, giving each other like the benefit of the doubt, like you said, like recognizing that like, most of the time when we hurt each other, I, like it's very unintentional. Like very rarely do partners intentionally hurt another, per, like their partner. Usually, it's because, like Stan was just saying, that there's like they're scared and they're self-protecting, and then they go into that mode, and the and like the outcome is pain to the other person at the cost of the relationship. And so, and then I think about like respect. It's respecting your commitment that you've made to your like committed to yourself to be with this person even when they're being less than desirable to be around as they do the same for you knowing that sometimes i am you know with my husband less than desirable i get irritable and you know make all sorts of mistakes but there's like a respect that we have towards each other and then the couples that we work with they help them with that mutual respect but i th- i want to say something about like respect when it comes to parenting because Like kind of going back to what we said at the beginning about how when two people become parents, they don't really know what they're doing. I think respect is really important how you can respect your partner as they make make mistakes as a parent, but basically just learn how to parent, you know, like... Mm. Try all of these different ways to soothe the baby, you know, like bouncing, burping, changing a diaper, you know, busting out Dr. Harvey Karp's like five S's like you like allow your partner, as long as you're sensitive and attuned to them, like they don't need relief from you, but they want to stay engaged to figure it out, to build that confidence that's so important in early parenthood is building confidence from actually parenting. Mm. Like, Oh, I can do this. You know, like my, you know, baby was upset and I was able to figure it out after multiple attempts. I feel like that's a level of respect too, that is really important in early parenting of like respecting each other's learning curve. Mm. You know, like I know, like when I was struggling with Jude, it would have felt very misattuned if Charlie would have jumped in and like been like, do this. It would have been, you know, it's such a vulnerable time. It's just like and, you know, I like appreciated that mutual respect and really leaned on that. And I really we wanted to highlight that in Baby Bomb about like. Allowing each other to make mistakes in parenting, just and allow each other to make mistakes in partnering too. Mistakes are great. I mean, that's how we learn, you know?
2: Yeah, to think of it as a team, you know, um, the model here is uh, what people do when their lives depend on each other. Other things that are different, differences fade away. Uh, they, they have to do things for the mutual good. If one person goes down, the team suffers, right? And so this is a team of two. Uh, the, neither of them are experts. They're both improvising. They're both learning. And they're both working out the best possible solution at any given time for now. That's going to change because con- uh, conditions are constantly changing with child rearing. And so, again, the couple is a team. They're always doing the best thing. That is possible in the moment, given their strengths, right? Given their opinions or ideas, given their common vision to have a child that is healthy and and, and, uh, emotionally intact and a, a good citizen, all those things, right? They're working together. And that's, I think, the main thing about the book is a couple reorienting a two-person system of teamwork, fully collaborative, fully cooperative with all the mistakes and bumping up into each other that they're going to do, but they have big things to accomplish um, and people sometimes uh, really do sweat the small stuff. Why do you think it's so
0: common for couples to grow apart, even Mm. though they're sharing in the joy of raising a child together?
2: Uh, In my experience, uh, the couples uh, can be predicted to grow apart when they are drifting or when they are, have a tendency to drift. And these are generally people who are, we consider, on the avoidance side of the attachment spectrum. People who are on the avoidance side have a tendency to drift. And by that I mean le- lead separate lives, be siloed in, in a particular way. And whenever uh, people do that, they stop influencing each other and they start getting influenced by outside elements. It's just natural. And they'll drift and they'll start to get interested in other things. they'll uh, they'll start to uh, find that they're pointing in different directions eventually. And so that's a very predictable drift. Uh, and that can happen with the first child. They stop being a couple. They stop being uh, lovers. They stop being best friends. They stop working together. They divide and conquer. They start to assign uh, uh, each other certain roles that are not really collaborative, but are uh, basically outsourced. And um, and they don't understand that they're, they're setting a course that if they follow a, a logical line in terms of, of uh, trajectory, they're going to eventually dissolve.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah. so, t- I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was, I, I was just going to agree with Stan. I was like, yeah, I think like different attachment styles definitely like play into it. But, and also, I mean, having a baby, um, especially like the last two years, having a baby during the pandemic is like a very resource demanding endeavor. And so it's like, it's really easy for couples to um, put their relationship on the back burner and just try to make it through the day. And and I, th- I think also there's like a simply like not knowing that there's another way to do it because maybe that's what they witnessed like their first family, like their parents doing is divide and conquering and outsourcing all the things that Stan just mentioned you know, they grew up with that and they think, okay, this is what you do. And like, and also like, you know, and, and there's the whole culture part about like mothers, like thinking, I talk about this with other mothers. I talk, talk about this with my mom. I make decisions with other mothers. I make decisions with my mom. I'm not inclusive to my partner. I think like some of it, and again, like, I think like, That's why we wrote baby bomb is because for anybody who didn't know that there was another way to do this, just because of not having had that experience, we wanted to show people there is another way to do this. If you want to parent in a very, like Stan was saying, shared power, collaborative way with your partner where you're building something new. And this is having a baby is such a great opportunity to do something like that. Like you can do that. You can practice it on a day to day basis. And it doesn't matter if it wasn't modeled for you. Let us tell you some ways to, to do this, practice it, talk to your partner about it, hash it out between the two of you, see if this resonates with you, if you like it. Um, you know, we really wanted to empower people. Um,
0: yeah, as I'd step back and look at the bigger picture and incorporating some of the things that we've talked about, because we we started out by pointing out how vulnerable it is to bring a child into your world. And mm-hmm. you, and even if you think you know what you did with, let's say, child number one, like child number two could be totally different. So it's this constantly evolving thing. And if you mm-hmm. as a couple aren't really prepared to witness each other's mistakes and vulnerabilities and you're and you're in this high stakes situation where you, ha- you have a, a life on your hands and you got to get it right, you know, even though you won't. Um, mm-hmm. then it's like the perfect recipe in some respects for pushing people apart or making mm-hmm. people retreat a bit from each other into like a zone of safety where they're where they're not um they're not offending each other necessarily but they're also missing out on the impacting each other that will keep their relationship vital
1: right right like like if the relationship's not safe people still need safety so they will find that. By themselves or with somebody else. I mean, we need a sense of safety. Of so, if the relationship isn't safe because there is misattunement, because if there's shaming or criticism or absence, you know, um, we will find that, and that will cause a drift in in partners.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I think you do really well in the book, and I have to say that with all the books that I've read, I've gotten to a point where I tend to not like anecdotes in, in the books because I'm just like, come on, like that didn't really happen. You just made that up. But one thing that I really like in Baby Bomb is the way that you describe situations and how they might unfold in a way that um, that would lead people apart and create more pain, more more anger, more hurt. And then you offer them a redo of sorts in, in the book so that we get to see how that particular dialogue might have unfolded were people to be putting some of these principles into practice. Were they able to truly attune to each other, to truly see each other? Um, that's one aspect of the respect that I think personally is so important is is being willing to pause to res- to respect someone is to like give them your attention and to be willing to see them as they are and to work on accepting them as they are um so i i love how in your book you give all these vehicles for allowing people to stop in the moment and recognize like what you were saying earlier stan like people are trying their best even if it Really doesn't seem that way. To kind of realize that in the moment and find your way to each other before things go off the rails. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could talk a little bit about developing the the ability to attune like that when you've got another little person. You know that talk about um, throwing the neurobiology a bit askew. Um, when you have another little being in your in your life who's screaming or whatever and then you're trying to like actually attune with your partner and come to sort of some sort of agreement about what's going to happen in a, in a particular moment it's it's complex so what are some of the hints that you offer for people in so, those circumstances? So uh, uh,
2: we have we have nervous systems, right? Uh, nervous systems that respond to internal and, and external stimuli. A baby making noise and, and crying is certainly going to uh, create arousal in both partners, particularly uh, the primary. The primary is wired for sounds uh, and is more inclined to uh, be more reactive. But make no mistake, uh, it doesn't matter. The two adults are the big tuning forks. Their nervous systems are intertwined. Where one goes, the other goes. Now you have a little tuning fork uh, that's making all this sound. There's a tendency for the big tuning forks to start to argue and to start to fight because of the alarm systems that go off into the brain and body and so basically you want the sound to stop because the crying or the screaming is a threat cue it happens to be a threat cue that the primary moves toward instead of other threat cues remove away right so uh and so first things first the couple has to be able to uh, calm each other and the baby. There are lots of ways of doing that together instead of dividing and conquering. They can do that together and be with each other, fully present, fully attentive, uh, at times split but still coming back, they can soothe the baby together, uh, just as they can uh, in in adulthood uh, face the children together as a couple, that they are the big bells. They are regulating the small bells. Um, Put a couple in the front of a car, put kids in the back of the car. What could possibly go wrong? Everything, because everyone's facing forward. Nobody can regulate the kids in the back, and they're going to make a lot of noise and drive parents crazy. There are ways of predicting that and there are ways of working uh, so that the parents are okay and then they manage the children. But first, they put their oxygen masks on before they take care of the children. It's a very hard thing to do because it's intuitively not what we want to do. We want to take care of the noise. We want to take care of the, the emergency right away and not do it thoughtfully, right? So again, this is thinking. This is understanding. It's not simply intuitive. It's understanding how people operate. These two people have to be in each other's care first, and then they care for baby. That can be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. It does, it's, you don't put the baby in the closet while the parents you know, regulate each other. Right? It can be done at the same time. You know, but it doesn't occur to people because when we hear an alarm, we react. And we often want to shoot the alarm um, or the person who has reacted to the alarm. That's a human thing of threat, right? And that's what we're trying to help people understand. We're threat animals. We do things automatically that are in our own interests, but not uh, in the interests of the greater good and the team. And that's something people have to plan for, predict, and they have to understand, fix. You make a mistake, you put something in place for the next time because it'll happen again and again.
0: Right. Yeah. There's so much resistance, I think, in our culture anyway, for to making mistakes and making yeah. allowances for mistakes. And right. so when uh, when you're in a high pressure situation, like an inconsolable child, mm-hmm. uh, then. I think it can be tempting, like you're saying, to just like, I just want to fix this problem and, oh, you're not doing it right. And so I'm going to, and there's all this inner panic that can arise for people, which could um, either result in someone panic in their panic, leaning in too much, or someone in their panic needing to get the hell out of there, which, of course, you talk about in terms of how people's attachment styles impact how they show up in these moments.
2: Dictatorship is easy partnership is hard. Mm-hmm. It is. Collaboration is hard. Um, people are too difficult, right? Um, I can do it myself. I can do it better than you. You're not doing it right. I'll take over. And that is a problem in, this, in the team, right? That's, a, that's not a two-person system. That's a one-person system, which we all default to under stress. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the single biggest problem facing human beings. Under stress, we default to a one-person system, which looks very threatening to the outside world. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, it looks and, threatening to uh, every
0: other one-person system. <laughs> every
2: other one-person system, right? And that creates uh, that creates consequences, right? And that, and then you see consequences building and and spinning out of control and accruing to where people then find it hard uh, to get out of this thing. This uh, this uh, threat response that's reflexive and keeps building. That's why repair is so important. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did that. I'm sorry. I yelled at you. That was wrong. I should not have done
1: that. Repair and then also like being friendly during these times of high stress. I think like Neil, what you were just saying, like the baby starts crying, both partners or parents, like their nervous systems activate. And that could be a, a yeah, a time that they fight, or it can be a time of intimacy too, of by you know, just even a glance and a softening of the eyes and and like you got this, I know you can, you know, I know you can do this like this being soothed the baby, you know, like that encouragement of the team, you know, we will come back, we will come back to this, you know, like whatever it is that they're discussing, but just like communicating verbally or non-verbally or both, we are on the same team, we care about each other. And like, this is a difficult moment, And we're going to be allies in this moment. And that can be like, it can be taught, like just kind of doing like a contrary action of like leaning in. And like, I'm just thinking of times when it was like, I was feeling like a lot, all of my alarm bells were going off because of my son. And I can conjure up right now, my husband's face and the softening of it and how much strength that gave me in that moment. I mean, about our partnership, but also to be able to, okay, like I can do this, you know, and then to come back to Charlie and be like, you know, thank you for having my back and like, and helping me in that moment and helping our relationship, you know, ultimately too. But it doesn't have to be these grand gestures of like, we're going to figure everything out. I really think about like a softening in a face, a smile, A touch, putting a hand on the knee, you know, a hand on your shoulder, like, okay. Like all of those little, those little things mean so much during these times of stress. Yes. Yes. They're everything.
0: Kara and Stan, we have to just take a quick break to talk about this week's sponsors. Now, as weather starts to get colder, a perfect way to end a long day is getting cozy and curled up with a good show. However, if you've run out of cool things to watch, that could be a problem. That's why I've really been enjoying my trips across the pond with this episode's first sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service featuring compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. Literally hundreds of exclusive shows from around the world, including award-winning mysteries, dramas, and comedies with a quirky, unique sensibility all their own. While I've mentioned Jack Irish um, and some unusual comedies like Detectorists, which is about the ups and downs of some members of the Danebury Metal Detecting Club... It's pretty funny. I also enjoyed watching My Life is Murder, which stars Lucy Lawless, whom you might remember as having played Xena Warrior Princess as she goes about solving murder cases in Auckland, New Zealand. There's just so much available to you that's well, just new and different compared to what's available on other streaming services. And you get access to all of this new different content for just a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. And as a Relationship Alive listener, they have a special offer for you. You can try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and using my promo code, which is alive. You have to enter the promo code all in lowercase letters, just so you know, Um, it's case sensitive. So that's A-C-O-R-N, acorn.tv, code alive. In lowercase, to get your first 30 days for free. Our second sponsor has been back to help you get the support you need from the comfort of your own home or your office or actually anywhere you are. Their name is BetterHelp. And I'm excited that they're continuing to show their support of Relationship Alive. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can chat with them via text at any time, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without having to go anywhere. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available for those who qualify. They also offer a broad range of expertise so that you can find the person most suited to helping you with your own unique situation. So whatever you're going through, whether you're new parents or trying to work out how things are going with the children that are in your, have been in your lives already or dealing with stress or anxiety, anger, trauma, whatever it is that's going on, try out BetterHelp to help you move past the places where you might be stuck. To start living a happier life today, you can try BetterHelp and you can get an extra 10% off your first month for being a Relationship Alive listener. Just visit betterhelp.com slash alive and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash alive. And thank you to both acorn tv and BetterHelp help for your support of the relationship alive podcast and now let's get back to our conversation with kara hoppy and stan tatkin yeah and you you talk about how people can uh in less stressful moments talk to each other about what those what what might actually comfort them in a stressful moment so that they can offer that to each other um and then you also talk about the the tells um what was kara maybe you could talk a little bit about your process of figuring this all out with charlie i'm assuming that you 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 had it all figured out ahead of time what your what your tells were how you were gonna show up for each no i see you shaking
1: No, 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 no. I mean, we were solid. We were a solid like couple and team and parenthood threw like a lot of curveballs to us. It was a whole nother level of vulnerability and of needing to really team up, like lev- level up our marriage that I didn't anticipate and the journey to do that. Um, I mean, that is what baby bomb is like, that was like our journey to do that. And during the process of doing it, I mean, luckily, like Stan had been my friend for so long, I'd studied with him. And like, you know, so I started bringing all of the stuff that he was really talking about that nonverbal knowing each other's tells, like before Jude, Charlie and I were, we could take it for granted that we could read each other. We could, we read each other great for that moment in our marriage. But then when Jude was in the mix, it had to be even better. So we had to get more specific, like about how, like, yeah, the things that are soothing to me, um, which is like touch, which is like reassurance. It's not the same for Charlie, like for him, like verbal reassurance goes a long way. And it like and being like I can say like small pithy things to Charlie that are attuned to how I know Charlie and nobody else knows Charlie that can carry him. But I had to really like re not just like it's not relearn, but reinvest maybe and deepen my knowledge of like what that is for Charlie. And I noticed as we were doing it kind of like. Um, Coming back together, um, you know, after the explosion of our baby bomb into our lives, like how how intentional it could be and how um, knowing that, like I said, it's these little moments would really carry like I could see if I did like one thing in the day that was really attuned to Charlie in just the specific way he needed it, that his attitude for the day would just be different. Mm -hmm. Like he would be. he would show up for me more. He would show up for Jude more. And I remember being like clocking that, like that worked, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm going to commit to doing like that worked for both of us, the three of us really, you know, and like, I'm going to do that often. And like, and I noticed Charlie doing that for me, like how he would do the softening of his face and kind of get on my level and, and do the touch and like so, we and we talked about it, so it was t- intentional. But um, but we had to really discover it post baby, rediscover it post Jude, post baby bomb. Can um, I yeah.
2: dovetail on that because I've seen them grow. I mean, they they became a very tight team, and and uh, because they had good bones to begin with, but they discovered, you know, with load bearing comes a whole different ball game, and and that's what we really want people to understand: this idea of leveling up. Off the factory line, the average human being is not going to handle load-bearing very well. Relationships will not last with the average human being because we're energy conserved. We do the least amount possible. We operate according to what we know, what we've experienced from childhood. That's about as fancy as we ever get. This calls for much more awareness, much more Uh, 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 discipline in two people raising the bar on what is going to be the right thing to do when it's the hardest. What Mm -hmm. is the right thing to do when it's the hardest? We're constantly doing that. It's a matter of purpose and character that we're setting that bar because we know as human beings, we will do the least amount necessary and we will always default to our own interests. That's how we roll. And if we go down, everyone's screwed. If you know generals are fighting, soldiers die. If parents aren't getting along, the kids suffer. And so this is vital that, that this couple... Uh, learns how to handle this third thing, which is load bearing. But it's not the only thing because there's COVID, there's, there's, uh, there's uh, financial uh, downturns. There's all sorts of things that are going to hit us as we move through time. And if a couple is not really a good team and not working well, the wheels will come off. Mm -hmm. And that's not a function of him or her or they or them. It's a function of the team. They're not really a team and they don't really see it correctly in terms of their lives depend on each other. They have to work together full stop. They can make mistakes, but they have to fix it and move forward and to know what their purpose really is and that it's not based on love. It's based on purpose, right? This is what we do. This is what we never do. And the testing ground here is this first child.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's one of many.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering uh, if we can get specific here and talk about a couple things that I think are, are pressing issues for a, a lot of couples in the midst of child rearing. Um, and that's uh, what, ha- what can happen with sex and mm-hmm. also the concept of balance and fairness or equity. Parody in a relationship. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe to keep everyone listening, let's talk about balance first, and we'll talk about sex after. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but right, those are the things where it's like people can feel siloed. Like, and and I've experienced this. You know, when I when my kids were young, in particular, just that sense of like, wait a minute, I'm doing all the blah blah. Or when was the last time you? Etc., um, and feeling like things get all askew, and sometimes that's even done um, from a from a, a, a with a positive intent, where where a partner might say, "Oh, well, I'm I'm good at this, and they're not so good at it, so I'm just going to take that all on." And that could be parenting related. And you talk about kind of parental gatekeeping in the book, where you're like, "I'm just going to do all the parenting stuff," but the ways that that excludes your partner from being a team player, a collaborative with you. But that could be true of anything in that domain. It can get so out of whack and then people Mm -hmm. get really resentful. So what's a couple to do when they find themselves in that position?
1: Well, I mean, you bring up a couple of different things there, Neil, because like immediately when I was thinking about like a lot of couples do that scorekeeping, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, um, but I'm immediately when the couples that I work with or when this happens to me in my own marriage, I think like I go like a step below, like what's happening, you know, what needs are not being met here that like, all of a sudden I'm like tracking this or couples are tracking this. Like, I mean, it's like, it manifests as a feeling of inequity, which maybe it is inequity. It certainly can feel that way, mm-hmm. but also like what needs aren't happening. Is there a lack of connection? Is there an, a lack of emotional entunement? Is somebody not in the relationship, especially when it has a new baby able to care for themselves? Do they have time to exercise? Are they able to like have a few few moments for themselves. Like when that's not happening, I think that the scorekeeping can happen more so Mm -hmm. um, because it's just an, instead of, you know, we're so trained to like this, like this isn't fair and it probably isn't, you know Um, but it's so hard. I think people have a hard time identifying like our, like the physical needs or even like below it, like our emotional needs. Mm -hmm. Like I need to be seen right now. I need for you to stop what you're doing and attune to me and see how difficult parenting is for me, you know, and a lot of that happens like early in early parenthood, um, you know, for birthing people, um, it's very difficult on the body giving birth. Um, and then if you're breastfeeding, that's very difficult on the body. And a lot of that is invisible, like certainly culturally it's invisible. And then it can be invisible in the relationship. And then when things are invisible, it can feel like nobody's appreciating this. And mm. rather than being able to have that conversation of like, I notice I'm feeling insecure because I'm feeling unappreciated by the culture at whole. And then by you that I'm like generously sharing my body with this person and completely tethered to them. And then you're asking things of me. Like it, it becomes like, it can become like a scorekeeping thing. Um, So I think helping people recognize, like, that's why we have that whole chapter on needs, Mm -hmm. like helping people like connect with, like, what are their physical needs, their spiritual needs, their emotional needs, you know, their needs for connection, not just with their partner, but with like their outside support with the greater community, all of that's like shifted in early parenthood. I mean, especially early parenthood during the pandemic, when it was like so isolating, for new parents trying to protect their babies from, and themselves from COVID, you know, but like all of that really can deplete people. And I don't, I don't think people are necessarily attuned to that. And then it manifests like sideways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just going deeper to this question of what are you, what are you, what do you need that you're not getting and yeah. then you get a You get the opportunity to say, well, is this thing that I was worried about? Is that really the issue? Or is it something deeper? And I'm struck by in your book, there were many times where I was like, of course, what what a couple needs to do in a situation like this is step back and be like, what's really going on here? Right. Because a lot of it kind of boils down to that people either kind of spin out in whatever is happening emotionally within them. And that, as we've talked about already, tends to drive people apart or they can like take a breath or see that something is actually happening with their partner. And I realize we didn't really define what a tell was here, but a tell is that you that you offer often nonverbal cues, but sometimes they can be verbal cues about your emotional state so you offer those to your partner and your partner offers those to you and the more well-versed you are in knowing those things the better you'll be at understanding either your own emotional state or what's happening in the person across from you um so there's this opportunity when you see something going on to step back and be like wait a minute like what's really going on here you know is this really about the um you know who's getting the laundry done right now or is this really about how i'm late for dinner maybe it is but Mm -hmm. maybe on a deeper need it's not about that you're late today it's about that i don't feel seen by you or i don't feel like you appreciate what i'm doing um and if you stopped and appreciated me i wouldn't care how late you were as an example
1: Right. (laughs) right that's the paradox of it right if you give me like what i needed to do deeper level then the other stuff isn't quite as important you right. know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. But see, in, in my, if if we were in a relationship, you and I, Neil, if we were doing this, it's my job to keep tabs on you. It's my job to make sure that you're getting your needs uh, taken care of. It's my job to make sure you're absolutely safe and secure at all times. That's self-preserving because if you're not, uh, I'm going to feel the consequences of that. So if I'm doing that and looking at you and watching your tells and looking to see what you find uh, most soothing that I can do, um, you're doing that with me. We're handlers of each other. That is the proper way to do it. Not to uh, for me to ask you what you want all the time, not for me to uh, ask you what would soothe you, but for me to know you, just like I'm learning the baby. I don't ask the baby, what do you want? I have to intuit, I have to find the baby in, uh, in the baby. I have to find the baby in Neil. And Neil has to find the baby in me. And our jobs are to minister or to serve each other. This is how we get taken care of. Um, and so it's more than just the techniques. It's it's an understanding, it's an orientation that we are in each other's care. And that's the way it works. It works best that way. We serve each other, and this way we get served. So I'm responsible for being your handler. I'm responsible for knowing how you work.
0: Okay. So we have You're to talk about that, that a minute before we yeah. talk about sex. Um, it goes because- into that too. <laughs> underlying all of this, I think, is this sense of operating from a place of generosity. I'm going to mm-hmm. generously pay attention to you, attune to you, create safety for you, care for you, and hopefully you're doing that for me as well if or we're ha- or we'll have a problem.
2: yeah, we'll- I
1: wouldn't hopefully, I would think no, it
2: must happen.
1: It must happen. Both partners have to jump in equally into the deep end. Otherwise, this doesn't work.
2: Nope.
0: Right, right. So because this is so important and because I think a lot of people listen to this show because they're not in a situation where both people are being generous, Mm -hmm. how would you you approach that in your relationship if you felt like, well, I'm doing a great job paying attention to so-and-so, but I do not feel that being reciprocated? Then we
2: have to have a come to Jesus, sit down and say, this is uh, you're not somebody I want to be in the foxhole with. Uh, You're not uh, you're not somebody that uh, makes me feel safe. You're not playing the same game I am. Let's talk about what we want. And are we really on the same page? And if we are, you got to start doing something.
1: Yeah. I guess it's like, Stan, what comes up for me hearing you say that it's really being accountable, accountable to the choice that you made in being a partner with this, with whomever you picked. It's Mm -hmm. like practicing accountability every day, even when you don't want to, just like we all parent every day, even when we don't want to, we all partner every day when we don't want to. I mean, that's because you're making an investment in something bigger than you. Right. Uh, And And I think a lot of people like, you know, we talked about this at the beginning and I just want to say it again. I think a lot of people don't have that kind of partnership, not because like no, I mean, I, I after saying accountability and then in the second breath saying no fault of their own, I feel such a generosity or empathy towards that, because if you didn't know that it was possible to do this, how would you know? And that's why it's so important, like that. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to being on this podcast, to be able to talk about this, like, this is not the first family I was modeled or my husband was modeled Like we didn't see our parents sharing power equally and caring for each other equally. We, I didn't know that that was like a possibility. So any listeners listening that don't have this right now, it doesn't mean you can't you have, you know, do like what Stan said, like talk to your partner. Like I would, I would like to talk with you about maybe doing this differently than we have before. This is how I think it could benefit us and our children if you know what do you think? Let's discuss this idea together and see if we can if this feels like something that could work for us. And kind of holding it in the sense of like we're pioneers. We had, weren't. We haven't seen this. We don't see it very much in the culture either. And so, but but that also doesn't mean it's not possible. It entirely is, and this can be learned. It doesn't have to be modeled. And once you learn it, then then you're teaching your children it. Then they grow up and they're like, well, this is what, this is what I think relationships, I think relationships are supposed to be fair. And you're not being fair. Well, then we got a problem. You know, it's a, a different orientation. And parents are in a very unique opportunity to make some really big rippled changes, you know, for, for sure. their children, future generations and for themselves. And and like I said, it just I feel like really hopeful about it because Charlie and I learned how to do that. And Stan and I for like our, you know, in our clinical work, this is what we do with couples every day is help them like little step by little step by little step make these changes.
2: And I can say with confidence that there is no other system that will work. There is no system that's sustainable. Um, If anything is too unfair, too unjust, it won't last. If it does last, that's when uh, people are miserable and unhappy and trapped. Uh, There is no way to sustain a long-term relationship. Uh, Unless it is uh, absolutely fair and just and uh, and collaborative and cooperative, Um, uh, it it can't work. And it never has worked across uh, the history of civilization, Uh, whether it's a company or whether it's a community church or a community or whether it's a a country. Uh, You know, as soon as uh, people are feeling that there's a have and have nots, people start to rob and steal and people do bad things and people fragment and split off Um, unless there's a dictatorship. Right, And so here we're only dealing with two people. What's their excuse? What's their excuse for not working in a way that's collaborative and cooperative? Uh, There is no excuse, actually. So it's not an option. It has to be done. It's hard. And I can attest to that. Every day it's hard, uh, you know, but it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Kara, I liked what you
0: said about how pointing out if someone has first doesn't have the idea that it's even possible, like talking about it as a possibility. And second, Mm -hmm. um, seeing it from the perspective of this will benefit both of us. Here's how this approach might benefit you. Um, Mm -hmm. I could see that uh, in any system where there's kind of a war for resources, that part of why that's happening is because people don't believe that they're going to get taken care of if they're not fighting. Right. So, so being able to, to depolarize in a way um, and, and, and see how, Oh, like, actually, if we are working collaboratively, if we're being generous with each other, that's like a positive feedback loop where things get better and better. Um, I would imagine that most people in that more conflicted situation, they feel it. And and in my experience and the experience of people I've worked with, I think, and people who listen to the show, it is that sense of, well, we're here and we don't ex- entirely know how to get out of it. We don't know what the path forward is
2: people would know if their lives depend on it if bullets were flying over their heads they would know um uh, people that i i i've worked with that are uh that are uh, uh homeless or people who are mentally ill they do it they know their lives depend on each other they do not have these fights Uh, People in war-torn areas, people who are in the foxhole, people in the military have to worry about the partners to their left and right. They don't worry about this stuff. They know their lives depend on each and every one of them. Uh, uh, They understand what's important. In the couple world, this is non-existent. Uh, The couple is the only union that doesn't seem to get it, that this is not a luxury. This is actually their lives do depend on each other. If they thought about it, they would get it, but they don't think about it because they think this is uh this is their childhood home where they can do whatever they want. No, this is partnership. Uh this is uh this is us together against the world. The war cannot be in the foxhole. That's simply self-harming, self-destructive. Period.
0: So I'm hoping it's okay if we go a a couple more minutes because we we do need to talk about sex and i think this is a good actually good place to be talking about it um because this could be one of those things where um you know stan as i was listening to you i was thinking yes of course and that's why a lot of people split up because they think well this isn't working for me anymore and if you're in the foxhole you can't be like i'm out of here like i'm joining germany or whatever like you're you're gonna get shot um But if you're in a marriage, uh, these days, in at least in the Western world, you're not going to get shot if you leave your marriage. And in fact, you might have, you might think that you're going to have better luck getting your individual needs met without that person. Um, which may or may not be true. Um, Mm -hmm sex is one of those areas right where once it starts evaporating in a relationship uh if if sex is important to a person they may start to feel a certain kind of desperation around like mm-hmm. whoa what? and and there's nothing that um can potentially put sex on the sidelines like having your infant co-sleeping with you um as an example mm-hmm. so um so let's Let's take the last few minutes that we have together and just talk a little bit about how to how to keep sex and and intimacy, physical intimacy, um, how to keep that also in this realm of two people being generous with each other, particularly with a little a new little one around.
2: I have a lot to say about this, but I'm going to yield first to Kara.
1: <laughs> you do have a lot to say about it. I want I can't wait to hear what you have to say. I, I think about this a lot. I've been writing about it a lot, a lot of articles lately about sex specifically. And because people are desperate to hear about it because there isn't a lot of talk about how much our sex lives change after mm-hmm. having a child, you know, there for birthing people, there is potentially birth trauma. There is healing that needs to happen regardless of trauma, um, sex might need to be redefined after having a baby for a while. It might not be like penetrative sex. Um, and it's going to be different. And so, um, and people are, this is a very tender area for people understandably. And so, um, you know, I think just having like a conversation about it in of itself. So people don't feel alone and shame about like our sex life was destroyed or we have sex only like a handful of times since our child was born. I mean, the research says that that's like the majority and this goes down both genders. You know, both genders are saying like after the birth of their first child that they're feeling sexual dissatisfaction. So it's. I mean, if that's happening to you, you're part of the majority, you know, first of all. And I think it is because like, um, you know, for example, with birthing people, I do think that the, the birth in and of itself is so important to talk about it with your partner and with others and have a healing experience within your own body. However, that baby came into the world. Um, that that's really jumped over. You know, if we think about like for birthing people that they get one appointment at six weeks, that's like, okay, now you're ready to have sex. It's, it's not intimate in and of itself. It doesn't recognize what happened to your body and what's happening to your body continue to. And so then they come home and like, they're not talking to their partner about it. And that in and of itself can make a divide. And I think that there's a lot not talking about because they simply don't know that it's helpful to talk about it. Like the non-birthing partner checking in on the regular, not specifically about sex, but about the birthing partner's body. How is your body? How are you feeling about the birth? You know, like how, how is the healing journey? Can I pour you a bath? Can I do things to help your body physically? I mean, that really helps. I mean, that's intimacy right there. That's going to build trust. I'm seen here with this person. You know, I don't have to hide that I just had a baby, which that's what our culture wants us to do is to pretend we didn't just have babies. And then we're like, I got my body back. I got my sex life back. I mean, that's completely, you know, irresponsible. To do to not just birthing people, but to couples, Mm -hmm. you know, when both partners are impacted by this. Even the non birthing partner is impacted by this when it's a completely unrecognized event. And so I guess by recognizing it and really empowering a non birthing partner to know how to be attuned. And again, this wouldn't be by instinct. This is where like psycho psychological education comes in. By knowing like, you know, ways to help out their birthing partner feel at home and safe in their own body again, and like and appreciating their body, not asking them to go back to the way they were, because that's asking a birthing person to do something that's impossible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Their body has changed. That body is done. It's over. There's a new body that both partners can get to know together. And that's the journey there, right? And like, that's not necessarily, and I mean, then that's sexy. That's redefining romance. You know, like you have a new body and so does a non-birthing partner's bodies are always changing. I mean, we were talking about it at the beginning of the podcast, time is moving forward and we don't have to fight that. We can, you know, be inclusive to that reality and really be attuned to that reality and support it and support finding a new sex life again. However, that looks like, you know, to both partners that is like inclusive of both partners needs enough, you know, the need to heal and the need for for touch. You know, it's important for both people.
0: So yeah. I'm I'm really appreciating what you're saying about how the the actual physical experience of birthing is and and what happens after that is overlooked a lot of the times and i think what i'm hearing in in what you're saying that really is standing out for me is what an opportunity it is if people are not um letting say too much time go by but if they feel into the fact that okay we we actually have a responsibility as partners to be to foster our intimacy and to mm-hmm. recognize that it's going to be different now but that doesn't mean like we're just putting it all on hold it means now that there's a baby here as an example, we're going to find ways to to still give each other pleasurable experiences that actually match where we are currently at, where we're not trying to be what we were prior to, but where we're actually paying attention and attuning to each other and asking, like, what would feel pleasurable to you? And it may be that a birthing partner needs a bit more restorative time than the non-birthing partner. And yet I still... I'm hearing that there are ways that they can show up for each other that that offer them um, a deepening of of intimacy and finding pleasure in new ways while they recalibrate based on all the changes that have happened.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I will condense what I was going to say into just this just this one thing. Growing up and moving through time is about being able to grieve as we move towards greater complexity. That means that we're constantly adapting to the realities of life. We are in the present moment. We are what we are today, not what we were yesterday and not what I thought I had. That is how we move through time together. And we're in the present moment, making love for who we are at this moment. It is not about sex, per se. Uh, can be about orgasms but it's but this is about making love this is about two strangers who will always be strangers constantly trying to get to know each other and that's love making uh and that takes two adults knowing that they're constantly losing things as they're gaining new things but are they aware of what they're gaining and are their eyes on the ball or is it always looking over the shoulder into the past Mm -hmm. that is the big mistake that most people are making Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, there's, as
0: always, plenty to talk about. And I think, Stan, this is maybe even one of our shorter conversations. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, if you want to hear more from Stan about how attachment theory plays into all the things that we've been talking about, then uh, definitely go to neilsatin.com slash baby, and I'll have a list of all the other episodes that Stan and I have done where you can dive into that. In the meantime, uh, you've been listening to Kara Hoppy and Stan Tatkin talking about their really well-written and simple, easy to follow, but very practical book, Baby Bomb, A Relationship Survival Guide for New Parents. And Stan and Kara, uh, would you each mind mentioning if people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that?
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, come to my website, Kara Um, you can find me, um, at Kara Hoppy on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm on all the socials, um, producing content to take these complex ideas and try to make them applicable for couples. Um, and then I'm also teaching, um, retreats for based on the book for parents, expecting parents and parents of all ages, um, to practice these principles and bring them into their partnership. And that's on KaraHoppy.com as well.
0: Great. And and just Hoppy is spelled H-O-P-P-E for people Ooh, yeah. looking for okay. KaraHoppy.com. And take it away, Stan, where can people find out more about you?
2: And if people want uh, to reach me uh, at thepactinstitute.com. Thepact, if you're interested in training as a therapist, uh, we offer trainings around the world. If you're a couple and you're interested in couple retreats, my wife, Tracy, and I do a couple retreats, again, around the world. That's where you can find me. Also, Dr. Stan Tatkin, anywhere on social media.
0: And it oh, is a pleasure mm-hmm. to have you both here with me today. Thanks so much for taking the time to to share your collaborative wisdom about uh how to how to survive and thrive in a relationship when you've got little chitlins in the mix (laughs) always a pleasure to be with
1: you thanks for having us thank
0: you okay thank you for listening to another episode of relationship alive if you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive Community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.